Hello, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. And we hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. And if you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Welcome to you all again. Um, You're getting a lot of me today. My name is Pastor Daniel. I'm the worship pastor here. Um, I'll be leading us and preaching us, preaching with us or preaching to us. What do you say? I looked, at the, I looked at the Bible, and I've prepared some thoughts. Let's do that. <laughs> you know, it's been a beautiful summer. We've been enjoying vacations and time together with family. And Pastor Andy and the family are enjoying one last adventure before school begins. But welcome to all of you who are here. Thank you for those joining us online, and thank you for those who are joining us here today for the first time. Uh, we'll be doing communion later, so gathering at the Lord's table. There's elements there in the foyer. If you didn't grab any, feel free to sneak back there and grab a few at any point during the service. Those of you online, I'd ask you that you prepare those things that symbolize the bread and the, the wine for our time together later on in the service. So for those of you who drive, those of you who have cars... What's the first thing you did when you got your new car or when you got your license? Rolled it. (laughs) Who said that? (laughs) Really? (laughs) We're glad you're here, Morgan. (laughs) But thank you. That's a perfect perfect reaction. Because I I didn't hear anybody mention that you spent that first hour or two studying the manual from cover to cover. Making sure you knew how everything worked, all the systems, the safety stuff, before going on the road. You know, our first inclination, our first reaction, our first excitement is to jump behind the wheel. And that we only tend to look up things when, you know, look to the manual when things go wrong or when we're not able to operate things properly. Eleanor got her license this week. <laughs> and we got a message from her late last night saying, where's the little flippy thing to open the gas door? <laughs> and we texted, and we like responded. It took a minute, and then finally they say, we got it. I looked at the manual. So good job, Eleanor. <laughs> Perfect. You know, some of us are manual people, and some of us are not. Instructions manual people. You know, we tend to be notoriously bad at this when it comes to our phones and our computers, right? We get that brand new shiny device, and we fire it right up, and we begin to, begin to fill it with apps and photos and music and all those kind of things. And we give kind of little intention or thought as to how it was meant to be operated. And then the things that we need to do to get it to perform those tasks appropriately. And what do we do when all of a sudden that document that has our famous cookie recipe will no longer open up? We panic, and we call someone who read the manual to tell us how to fix it. (laughs) You know, um, we each do this in our own ways. I know we do. Um, Some of us 
tend to do this a little more than others, but, you know, inherently, the things in our life will go wrong. Machinery, technology, things break down. And they'll certainly go wrong much quicker if we don't use them as they were intended to be used, or if we don't care for them as they were intended to be cared for. You know, most of us will keep the manual handy for when things are going wrong or for reference or for special use cases. At the very least, we'll look at the troubleshooting tips in the back when something really goes wrong, you know? So I know this fun analogy, you guys have probably heard this analogy if you've been in church before, but the analogy that the scripture is the manual for our lives, that's, a, that's fine, that's good, but I want us to kind of go a little bit deeper here this morning as we think about this. We're going to be in chapter 4 of Ephesians this morning, and in this section, this opening 16 verses of Ephesians 4, Paul is really doing for the church in Ephesus, what Emmanuel does for us. Like on the first page of the manual, after you get past the safety stuff these days, on the first page, you're gonna see that big, bold statement of this is what you bought, and this is what it's intended to do, and this is how you make it do it. That's what Emmanuel is for, right? He's reminding his readers of the fundamental instructions of living the Christian life. He affirms how Christian life began in the first place and where it should be leading. You know, this is the same chapter that Pastor Andy preached out of last last week, chapter 4, but we're going to be in the first 16 verses of the chapter. We're going to break this up into a couple sections as we kind of look at it. And we are continuing and kind of wrapping up, or maybe this is the epilogue to our series of Resisting Rage, So as we listen, I'd invite you to be looking out for not only what Paul is describing are the essentials or the the fundamentals of Christian living, but also how what we're hearing could be the antidote for resisting rage. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. We'll start in verse 1. It'll be on the screens for you. Feel free to open it up in your Bibles or your device. We'll read 1 through 6. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope of your calling, One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Did you hear anything ringing out as we read that? Maybe something that either was resonating with you, just a beautiful phrase or a beautiful word. Maybe even something that was kind of agitating to you, like, oh, I don't like that. You know, that's how we approach the scripture. We allow the Holy Spirit to do that as we read. You know, thinking again about the context here, this is a letter to churches that Paul himself had hand in developing and establishing, you know, through the missionary journeys, and now these home fellowships have grown into churches, and now Paul's returning to them through this letter, reminding them of things. 
He's reminding them of the basic instructions to which they've been called. Prior to knowing lives, or prior to knowing Christ, their lives were ordered in one way, and then after hearing the good news through Paul's testimony and accepting the truth of Jesus and his gospel, their lives were reordered, resituated in a lot of ways. But here's what Paul is saying. Let's break it down. Three things. One, the calling to which we have been called is to believe in God. Easy enough. His work in the world, salvation through Jesus, and that that is our hope for life. Number two, grace has been provided for us in following Christ's example. And our behavior should be marked in particular ways. Number three, while living this out, we should be working hard to stay unified with one another. All mankind has the same calling and are on the same journey, pursuing that call, whether they're acting like it or not. So to put it in very simple terms, and if I'd like you to remember one thing or go away this week with one thing, let's say it in simple terms. We are to follow Christ's example, to act peacefully, and to actively maintain good relationships with others. According to Paul, this is the big, bold statement at the beginning of the instruction manual for Christian living. Humanity is given a calling. This call transcends our vocation. It transcends our hobbies, our leisure. It's the foundation of who we are and really who all humanity is intended to be. He's reminding us not to lose sight of the miracle that is the risen Lord, Jesus Christ. I'm doing a good job of being mentored by my mentor, Andy, by bringing you some quotes by N.T. Wright today. (laughs) So theologian N.T. Wright says it like this. Because Jesus has conquered death itself, all who gave him their faithful allegiance are assured that the same victory will be theirs one day. This is the calling which they, we, must live up to. At every moment, in every decision, with every word and action, we are to be aware that the call to follow Jesus, the Messiah, and to give him our complete loyalty takes precedence over everything else. And since this is a shared calling, not just an individual one, all of humanity has the same goal. But, you know, quick reality check, does our world seem to be living that way? Do we seem, as humanity as a whole, to be following this? No, (laughs) we don't. But as Pastor Andy has been showing us through the series, and as Rick showed us a few weeks ago, humanity seems to be defined by the idea that we all have a singular mission that we must promote and defend at all costs. There's no shortage of causes these days. There's no shortage of hills to die on. And we've really embraced that as a people, haven't we? Even when our mission is similar to that of others, there are things unique in particular to our own version of it that makes ours special, (laughs) makes it that much more unique than the person next to us. We see examples of this all the time. You know, as Pastor Andy spoke last week, we see examples of this in social media, the flavor of 
our friends and loved ones feeds on the social media networks. You know, this week, especially yesterday, I was really noticing all the causes and stands that people are making with stickers on their cars. <laughs> you know, in big, bold, oftentimes very aggressive language, we see all kinds of examples of the way something's important to us and it's not important to everybody else. You know, we're suspicious of everyone. We've got to make our stand and change their mind. More and more these days, we tend to avoid one another, especially strangers. You know, I think it's because we assume that they won't like us and we won't like them. Maybe we saw their bumper sticker, <laughs> and um, we just don't want to engage in another one of those conversations about their cause. Or maybe their cause sits in direct opposition of ours, and so we just avoid. The result is that we've stopped seeing one another as children of God. We barely recognize the stamp that God has placed on the heart of every single human these days, and the worst part is that it stopped breaking our hearts. Jesus looked on the crowds with compassion because they were lost and directionless. You know, when you and I are confronted with the worst version of the type of person that we just have the hardest time with, are we seeing them as a threat? Or are we seeing them as a hurting child of God, just like ourselves? Our scriptures remind us that this shouldn't be the reality. As a matter of fact, this would be exactly the definition of what disunity running its full course would look like, right? This is the definition of disunity. Not the unity that Paul is reminding his readers is so vital. Even within the Christian church, you know, it may be hard for us to grasp just how important this concept is. And given that the letter here in Ephesus is talking to Christians in the Christian church, but I think we can take that message of unity and apply it to our larger lives. But even with the church, we live in a time where divisions within the worldwide church are the norm. Orthodox, Catholic, thousands of flavors of Protestant churches have all, all with their own particular brand and they're all with their own practices. And some of these are so strong in particular that it may be hard for, thus, for those of us in different camps than theirs to even recognize them as fellow believers in Jesus. God has given all humanity a calling. He asks us to be his witnesses, to be his agents, and implementing it by following the example of Jesus, by acting peacefully, and by establishing and maintaining good relationships with others. It sounds simple when you just say it in a state, sentence like that. I mean, that might be the kind of thing you would have on a poster, right? But we all know that in practice, this gets pretty hard. But there is hope. 
Let's continue reading. So in Ephesians 4, picking up with verse 7, I'm going to skip over verses 8, 9, and 10. So 7 and then picking up at 11. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. The gifts that he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of, of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. Great, so we have a calling by which we've been called, a way to live, and now Paul is even giving us a pretty clean picture of how he expects that to work out. He's even named names of those who are going to do the work. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. So just this last Thursday, I was comfortably lounging in the dentist chair with this lovely stranger's fingers deep in my mouth when... (laughs) The inevitable question came, so what do you do? And then they take their hands out for a minute and give you a second to answer, right? (laughs) How many of us use the titles that Paul shared when we answer the question, so what do you do? Even me, who was literally a pastor, found myself describing the video and the design work that I do for Walker Manufacturing before I said, oh, and I'm also a pastor at Emmaus in Fort Collins. But you can't read verse 11 of that passage without also reading verse 12. He has gifted some to equip the saints for the work to be done. You're the saints. We are the saints, and this is the work we're doing. N.T. Wright again says it like this, sometimes when the church debates the nature of different roles within the church, would get the idea that they might exist for their own sake, even as though the whole point of having a church in the first place is that so certain people could be special within it. But that's the opposite. That's not the case. The main point of certain people having special roles within is that so every single Christian, the church as a whole, may be equipped for their work of service. You know, some do have unique roles to play in protecting and fulfilling the calling which we've discussed so far. But we all must be doing our part at following the example of Jesus, acting peacefully, establishing and maintaining good relationships with others. You know, the list that Paul gave, the five, these do have historical meaning. And to the church in Ephesus, they had very specific definitions. So the apostles were specific people who had witnessed the life and the resurrection of Jesus, and their testimony became the foundation of the church. The prophets were those who were receiving special revelation from God about Jesus the Messiah, and were sharing those messages, preparing the way for Jesus' work. You know, think John the Baptist here. Evangelists announced to a surprised world that the crucified Jesus had risen from the dead, and was indeed Israel's long-expected Messiah and also the world's one true Lord. 
pastors looked after the young churches and teachers developed and trained their understanding. We've seen lists like this before from Paul in his letters. You've likely seen those. You remember those. And we know that this list is not necessarily exhaustive. That there are countless roles in doing God's work of healing our world. And Paul knows this. Plus, you may find yourself identifying to certain aspects of the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the teacher, and the pastor. It's not the work of any special ones who have a certain job title on their business card. It's what we've been all, all called to. It's the calling to which we've been called. And it's not just something that we put our attention to in certain moments, on Sunday morning from 9 to noonish. You know, it's not something that we just fit in if we have time. It's really a lifestyle that call, Paul is calling us to maintain. You know, and if we get this right, it sounds like that might be a pretty good antidote to resisting the rage, to fueling that fire. You know, these days I can't even remember who gave me this analogy, but at some point someone shared the analogy with me. When faced with conflict or when faced with someone who is doing something or saying something that we know to be untrue or is really pushing us the wrong way. We have really two options on how to react. And he said, think of it like this. You've got two buckets in your hand. And one bucket is a bucket of gasoline. And one bucket is a bucket of water. Which one are you going to throw on that fire? Continuing in our passage... Ephesians 4, let's pick up, let's reread 13 and go through 16. All of us come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children, tossed to and fro, blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We have a calling. We are reminded that we have been and are continually being equipped for that calling. And now Paul is admonishing us, or the, the church in Ephesus and those who are reading it, to just be grown up about the whole thing. <laughs> is that fair? Feels a bit like he's just telling us to stop being such babies about, every, about all of it. <laughs> especially for the Ephesians, who knew Paul. He had been there. They heard his testimony in person, face to face. He's the reason why these fellowships began. Now they're getting this letter some years later telling them to just grow up. You know, it must have been a bit of a blow. But sometimes we need that shock, don't we? 
Sometimes we need somebody to call us out. I was working on a task this week to pull together a mailing list for Walker, and um, we have loads and loads of historical registration data, so the task shouldn't have been that hard. But due to human error and due to systems that were bad at validating data that's input, the task was frustratingly difficult. How many database people do we have here? <laughs> Am I the only one? Come on. Um, you know, I got, it, I got it done, and after completing it, I sent an email. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, red flags. You're always supposed to sleep on that. I sent it to the team talking about how we can improve our systems and how to make the task easier in the future. Innocent enough, right? But I was letting my frustration bubble through uh, in the way I worded it, and I made some snarky jabs at the methods that we had used in the past. Imagine that. You know, these days we almost look at people who are snarky as like a compliment. Oh, they got that cool snarky attitude. That's fine, that's fine, but sometimes it can go wrong, right? And I got called out on it. I had two options. I could dig my heels in and fight harder to burn down those bad ways we used to do things, even at the cost of hurting that relationship. Or I could hear the correction and take it and do what I could to make recompense. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It takes maturity to speak the truth in love. My email, may, while it might have been true, it, it was allowing immaturity to say the truth in some ways that caused that frustration and that snarkiness to come through. Thankfully, the Holy Spirit helped me make amends and seek forgiveness, and I'm happy to report we're implementing improvements to our data structures. <laughs> Crisis averted. Maturity is a process. And it takes humility and teachability. Paul even implies that we should be seeking to live with the full stature of Christ as our maturity goal. Could you imagine that? And yet he's offered that. This is what your maturity should look like, to be in the full stature of Christ. I mean, show of hands, who thinks they're going to get there in this lifetime? But that's our goal. And isn't it good news that it's a process that we engage in through our, our whole lives? But without that maturity, without it, we're prone to lose sight of the calling and to shift our focus onto things that would distract us away from it, ultimately undermining the unity and the peace that Paul's describing here, the thing that's on page one of the instruction manual for Christian living. Paul wants us to remember our calling. To firmly know and remember its truth and to proclaim it to a world that longs to know the affections of a father who will never let us go. 
We must learn how to proclaim the truth without lapsing into rudeness or sneering. For the truth of the God of love can't be shared through loveless speech. Isn't it good news that there's grace even for us? Even in our imperfections to recognize opportunities to grow and to improve, improve. there's grace. Our lives of faith are continually tested and challenged and pushed. The thing that may have been a struggle for you on your first day of being a Christian over time, likely God has helped you overcome that. And the tendency is to think, great, I'm fixed. That was my problem. But then something else shows up, doesn't it? <laughs> wow, all of a sudden, why am I being mindful about the, my snarky attitude? For me this week, at least. God does that. That's the purification process. And while we recognize how far we are from Christ's example and how far from that we often fall, we're not to give up striving to reach that perfection because that would be the easy thing to do, would be to just give up. Like, there's no way I'm ever going to meet that goal. So let's just get here, good enough, at least where I'm functional in my life, and let that be good enough, right? According to Paul, and at least for the Ephesians and those reading this book, we need to grow up and go farther. Over the past four weeks throughout this series, Pastor Andy and Rick have given us very practical guidance for Christian living during our series of Resisting Rage. They've helped us recognize those things which distract us from our calling to follow the example of Jesus, acting peacefully and actively establishing and maintaining good relationships with others. And today, as the Holy Spirit has been working in each of you, there's likely things that are coming to mind. As we move into a time of prayer, I'd ask you to keep these, thing, these things in mind, or I'd like to ask you these questions. What activities, pastimes, entertainment, vocations, are you involved in that are actively moving you in the opposite direction of your calling? What causes are you championing in your life? And are they in alignment with the peace and unity to which God has called you? What does the language sound like? of those causes? Does it sound like the way Jesus talked? How have you been doing on being humble and teachable? Are you actively embracing the calling to which you have been called to believe in and follow the example of Jesus, to act peacefully, and to actively maintain good relationships with others? Let's pray. 
Lord God, thank you for this time that we've had together. And Lord, we're grateful it's not over. Lord, we have moments here as we gather around the table and as we join together in prayers of the people in which to respond to the way the Holy Spirit has been speaking into our hearts. Lord, we thank you that you've given us the scripture, the word. And God, we thank you most of all that Jesus become flesh is the word fulfilled and that through his example, all of scripture is given feet and given hands and given voice and given language. God, forgive us for the times in which we've embraced immaturity or for the times in which we've turned away from our calling. We've allowed ourselves to be distracted. Or God, we've just allowed our frustration to bubble through in the way we communicate with others. God, we ask that you'd help us recognize the things which distract us from your calling. God, those activities, those entertainments, those pastimes, those vacations that are actively involved in moving us the opposite direction of your calling, Lord, we confess. We lay those before you. Lord, the causes that we're championing in our life, in some cases, we recognize how those are not necessarily championing the calling that you called us to or reflective of the life that Jesus demonstrated for us. Lord, we confess that at times we've not been humble. We've not been teachable. And for those times, Lord, we ask your forgiveness. We'll have many ways to respond as we continue in this service, but in this moment, I'll allow us each a moment to pray and respond in our own way to the Lord. Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. And God, we thank you for your grace meeting us where we are, not expecting us to approach you with things figured out or you know, being perfectly mature and following Christ's example in all ways. But Lord, welcome to greet us in our imperfections. Lord, as we move into a time of worship through gathering at your table. May your Holy Spirit continue to speak into our hearts. Amen.